back to the Next Community Podcast. I am Angelo Luciani, along with Laura Whalen. Hello. And from Tech Reckoning, John Mark Troyer. Hi, guys. On today's podcast, our guest is Nigel Poulton, technology evangelist and trainer at Pluralsight. And we chatted about Docker, a relevant and timely um, topic. Yeah, Angelo, it's a topic that actually has been catching a lot of my attention lately. Uh, These operating system level containers are increasingly being used by developers and increasingly making their way into production environments. So there's a lot of new technology that's being developed, a lot of it open source. Nigel is a great guy, came from the storage space. So he's an infrastructure person and he's uh, evangelizing for Docker and and he has his Docker plural site course and talks about Docker on his podcast quite a bit. Anyway, I find it really interesting. I, I like Docker uh, because it smooths out some production workflows that with VMs are a little slower. You know, I don't think there's nothing, anything you can't do with a VM and with traditional configuration management and things like that. But uh, Docker just seems to make things a little bit easier. And who doesn't like uh, easier, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check out his uh, videos on Pluralsight. Um, and in addition, you know, sort of get started with, um, with, with Docker. I haven't spent any time with Docker, but, um, um, it's popping up in so many conversations. Um, not really sure where it fits exactly, but, um, you know, hoping, uh, the video, his videos will, um, help clear things up for me and, and get me started. So, so with that, let's jump right into the interview. Welcome to the Nutanix Next Community Podcast. Today we are talking about Docker. And our special guest today is Nigel Poulton. Welcome to the show, Nigel. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I was trying to think back when the last Tech Field Day, when we were kind of on the same side of the fence and going through some emails to, to send some questions. It was turned out it was like 2012. So it's been a while since uh, I've seen you in person, but you've obviously kept on being really busy. Um, why don't you tell the, the people what you've been up to? Yeah, thanks. So I think the interesting things um, are probably the podcast and then the Docker courses that I've done for Plural Sites. So on the podcast front, I run a weekly or I co-host a weekly kind of tech news and opinion podcast called In Tech We Trust. And uh, we're on like episode number 27. In fact, we're recording later today. And it's just, yeah, it's we round up the infrastructure tech news from the last week. We get a bunch of opinion. There's five of us on the show, actually, and you guys probably know a bit about this, actually. Um, when I originally started the podcast off, I wanted like four or five people because we're pretty, you, you know, we're, we're pretty keen to always publish some content every week. So we go out, we publish every Thursday, and in order to do that, there's a boatload of scheduling and the likes to do. So we thought if we get like five people together, we're going to at least have two people every week, and that's really worked in our favor and I think as well, it kind of mix and matches the kind of characters that we have each week. So yeah, that's the podcast. And on the kind of the Docker side of things, so I produce training videos for a company called Plural Site, and I've got a bunch of training videos in their library, um, mainly around Linux and some storage stuff. But my two most recent courses around Docker, and it's such a hot technology at the moment. My Docker deep dive course is proven pretty popular. I'd suggest for anybody that's, and this is like a shameless plug here, right? But oh, anybody who's interested in getting up to speed with Docker, go check out my Docker deep dive course on Pluralsight. There's like a 10-day free trial as well. That They will ask you for your credit card details. 
But if you cancel after 10 days, guess what? You get to have watched the course and you don't have to pay any money. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's an awesome course if you want to kind of just get up to speed with Docker, get your hands on it. it. The idea of the course is to demystify Docker, really. So, yeah. It's just a blue whale, right? I'm, I think that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> How hard can it be, right? <laughs> um, the, no, the, your podcast is, is, is awesome. I enjoy listening to it. I think uh, your last survey, I think you're right. Uh, I think hands probably stuffed the ballot because, I don't know, I hear Docker all the time, so hence why you're on. I think, I don't know how it works for you, like how the, the paying works. We don't have to get into it, but I think any any V expert has access to those courses. So I would, by all means, jump in and, and take a look. I think I'm I'm about halfway through the, the course myself, trying to, yeah. to sneak it in where I can. Cool. That being said, let's uh, kind of jump into it. Do you want to give just kind of like a the cliff note version of, you know, what's Docker slash containers and for the, the people that might not know? Yeah, sure. So I think if we wind the clock back a little bit, it's probably the easiest way. If we can say back in the day, right, we used to, we'd buy a physical server every time we wanted to de- deploy an application, yeah? And we all know that's hideously inefficient from a power, from a spend, from a time it takes to rack and stack and build the server, right? That, that kind of sucks. And however many years ago it was, 10, 15 years ago, VMware came along and changed the world literally for us, right? Where we could then take a physical server and instead of just having one app on it, we could stick a bunch of virtual machines on there and just like 10, 20, 30, however big the server is, yeah? Suddenly you've got 10, 20, 30 apps per server. Uh, And that was really revolutionary. Docker and Linux containers in some respect, I think, are kind of like virtualization version 2, you know, in the VMware days, we got much better efficiency, right? So instead of, instead of one app per server, let's say, just pick a number, right? It's 25 apps per server now. I mean, that, that's awesome, right? It's much more lightweight. We get better use of resources and the likes. Well, along comes Docker and containers, and it takes it, in my opinion, right, some, sometimes to the next level of efficiency. So on that physical server where we might have got 20 virtual machines, well, containers are a bit more lightweight, so we might get 30, 40, 50 applications on that machine now. It's, it's another form of virtualization, but it's a bit more lightweight. I mean, I, I don't know if you want me to spend a minute to get into the technical side of it. I won't go too deep, but you think that would be of value? I think the value, especially that you kind of bring, is that you were a storage infrastructure guy, and, yeah. and now you're all over Docker. So You've obviously seen the the crossroad and the switch, so I think it'd be valuable to kind of get that insight. Yeah, well, you know what? In saying that I've seen the switch, I remember what I felt like when I first came across VMware 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I was working for um, a manufacturing company, and the first time I saw VMware, I was just like, are you kidding me? Wow, this is like amazing. And then almost straight away, we had some meetings about it and we're like, it's amazing, right? But it's for test and dev. And, you know, of course, we wouldn't use it in production or anything. Wind the clock forward. It's everywhere, right? But I remember at the time thinking, this just feels amazing. Why have we not been doing this before? And I get exactly the same feeling with containers and with Docker. It really feels like we're about to have a huge change in the industry. And I thought, you know what? I want to be riding that wave, if you will. I don't want to be the guy that's five years down the line wishing that I'd learned about Docker, right? 
So I want to be in there. I think there's a revolution coming here and I want to play a part, if you will. But on the, on the technical side, right, if you think about a virtual machine, right, we take a physical server and we slice its resources up into virtual machines. Let's say 10 virtual machines and everyone's got virtual CPUs and virtual memory and a virtual disk or two, all of that, right? And then we install, let's say, 10 copies of Windows or 10 copies of Linux. Well, containers is similar in that we would take let's just say a physical server for now, we'd install Linux on it, and then instead of carving it up into 10 virtual machines, we can carve it up into 10, 20, 30 containers. And they're different from virtual machines in that we then don't go and install 10, 20, 30 copies of Linux, right? We just take that one copy of Linux that's running on the bare metal, and we kind of partition the file system and the process tree and... The, the network space, right? So every container has its own root file system and every container's got its own Ethernet card and every container's got its own um, process one and process two and, and all of that stuff. But the, the core difference is you don't have, if you've got 10 containers, you don't have 10 versions of Linux. You just got one version of Linux sitting at the bottom and then each container is just like a few files and a, a virtual network card and that kind of stuff. That gives you more efficiency because think about it, right? Every version of Windows you install or every version of Linux takes up CPU, it takes up RAM, it takes up disk space for swap. Well, get rid of all that. We just have one copy sitting at the bottom. Now, I will say, right, Linux running containers and Docker doesn't have to run on the bare metal. You can have VMware or KVM or whatever and then run a Linux virtual machine on that and run Docker inside of that as well. Yeah, that's kind of what was always kind of intrigued me or why um, and seeing some of the Microsoft announcements around Docker is like, why would I select Microsoft if it's kind of a Linux based solution? I don't yeah, know if you, you have, if you have any ahead. insight into that at all, because I, I still don't get it personally, but the, you know, Azure would be kind of an option if you didn't want to host it yourself. Sure. So I think the potential of Microsoft entering into the Docker space is really important personally. I'm a massive fan of Linux, okay, but, you know, I don't hate Windows or anything. So at the moment, with containers, it's all about Linux. So you install that version of Linux, and then you put 10, 20 containers on top of it. They all share access to the Linux kernel, okay? So you can't have a Windows application in a container running on Linux, because obviously a Windows application needs to make system calls to the Windows kernel. And... If you've got a Linux kernel sitting underneath all your containers, no Windows apps. So at the moment, it's, it's Linux only. But Microsoft have held their hand up and said, in Windows Server version next, and of course, all of this can change, right? But in Windows Server version next, they will natively support Docker containers. What that means is we'll be able to um, then create Windows containers on top of a Windows server and run Windows apps in them. And I think that's going to be a really important part of the Docker ecosystem going forward. Now, you mentioned Windows, uh, Microsoft Azure, yeah? Now, I haven't used Azure for Docker, but I think in that instance, you would have to be spinning up Linux virtual machines in Azure, which obviously is supported. And then on top of those Linux virtual machines, you'd have to run Docker, and it would only be Linux apps. So right now, today, it is only Linux apps, but going forward, and this is going to be important, Windows is going to be getting involved with the party. Well, that's interesting. 
You did mention kind of the hypervisors and, and bare metal. Uh, Nutanix is only today. Um, you know, it's a virtualization play, whatever hypervisor. But do you kind of see over the course of time that being only bare metal uh, to get those types of efficiencies or densities? Or do you, do you see a healthy relationship with it? Really, more or less curious. I know internally, there's, you know, talk goes back and forth. Well, we can make the virtual storage controller. It could run Docker too, but that still takes some effort and time. So what are your kind of thoughts? So I think probably, and this is all guesswork, right? But I think in the next five or so years, there's going to be a really healthy relationship between containers and virtualization engines, hypervisors, yeah? I do wonder going forward whether bare metal might become more and more of an option. And I think especially for the big guys, right? So if you're a service provider and if you run Docker on bare metal, you can, let's just say you can get 50 containers on it um, versus the competition who runs Docker within hypervisors. Maybe they can only get 30 containers on because they've got hypervisor overhead and stuff like that. Then for like the big guys where, you know, scale and density actually matters, then bare metal might be a big factor. But I think probably for most enterprises at the moment, running Docker and containers on top of a hypervisor is going to make more sense. And you know what? I'm fairly sure at the moment when you go out to the cloud players like Azure and AWS and people like that, generally speaking, people are running them on top of cloud instances, which are virtual machines, yeah? Bare metal probably will come further down the line, but I mean, all the work that I've done has been with Docker on top of virtual machines. And and I do see a lot of people doing that. That's that's not going to change overnight, just in my opinion. I think I would agree. I think maybe some of the, the change needed is probably around management. I think that's why, you know, there's so much virtualization around and it kind of provides a common glue for, for enterprise teams anyway, that they can maintain it and if you talk to like a gray beard about Hadoop, they're not going to want to virtualize it. But you talk to a new Greenfield initiative, maybe they'll virtualize it because they know how to, you know, kind of get their heads around it. Yeah. But maybe it's kind of the similar. Maybe not, though. But maybe. You know what I think as well, though? I mean, I'm saying I see Docker and containers in a similar way to the way I saw VMware um, 10 or 15 years ago. Let's remember VMware 10 or 15 years ago is not what it is now. It's got a massive ecosystem and it's got... All of this, these third-party pieces that plug in, that they've got a, a much bigger portfolio themselves. Docker, it, it's growing rapidly, right, at a, at a rapid clip, but it's not there yet. So let, we're not certainly not going to throw away the virtualization estate and landscape away overnight. You know, that's mature, and we know how to manage it and to use it, and it's got security and stuff like that. So people are going to leverage that for the short term, definitely. It's kind of two interesting threads there. The the relation between VMware uh, back in the early days when they only really had a, a PC product, and now you kind of have Docker with, I think they just bought something for the Mac too for, for Dell. Uh, that's right. They did, yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of interesting. But then on, on the flip side, so too, they have, um, I think Project Fargo, I don't know what it was called with vSphere 6, but they're like quick cloning. Yes, yeah. It almost seemed like that was kind of like a competitive way to keep docker under control i don't don't. well well Dwayne. i mean that's that project was banging around inside vmware for a while uh maybe maybe that's that's helped birth birth it yeah nigel that's one thing we haven't really talked about is this kind of speed and agility aspect of containers i feel a little bit weird 
as an infrastructure person looking at containers, I, I've it's almost like it's from a foreign country. I haven't seen it before, so I don't quite know how to describe it. I feel like you know it's like a potato that that first came to France from the New World, and, and so they <laughs> you know they had to call it the, a, a pomme de terre because they didn't yeah. quite know what to do with it. So you know we're calling it like a weird VM, even though it's its own thing. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, one aspect uh, that we haven't talked about here of, of containers is this copy-on-write file system. And it makes, you know, part of the file system is then fixed. Part of it is writable. What happens is this layered file system means that you can recreate portions of your, of your container, of your VM, of your configuration. That's not a VM. Sorry, your container. <laughs> uh, you can do that very rapidly. And uh, so, for instance... For developers, if you're uh, you're recompiling stuff or reconfiguring stuff, that makes that very rapid. Whereas uh, for a, a VM, you might have to go through a whole build cycle and then a whole boot cycle. Um, this project Fargo, for, for folks that don't know, uh, now called oh, we're gonna VM get the name Fork, wrong. Is it? No, no, they called it Quick Clone or Fast Clone or Instant oh, Clone. Right, okay. I forget which one. Um, we'll put it in the show notes, folks. You know, it's a it's basically a copy on write file system that lets you uh, actually clone a a running uh, virtual machine very quickly and it gives you a new disk and some new memory and you can, you can go, go with it. It's going to make VDI very interesting. Um, but, you know, one of the jobs to be done for the new world of developers, right, is this, I want to compile everything uh, a lot of, many times a day. And so the life cycle of a container sometimes is very short, whereas the life cycle of a VM is, can be sometimes measured in, in uh, you know, in years, right? You don't, you never want to reboot a VM if you if you can't help it if it's, it has a legacy app in it. So I don't know, Nigel. Can you talk a little bit about maybe agility or speed of of containers versus versus VMs? How we might want to understand what what things they're good for? Yeah, yeah. So um, let me try and explain it this way. Okay, so every time we boot a, a virtual machine, we, we've got to bootstrap the operating system, right? And, you know, Linux operating systems running System D these days, they boot pretty quickly, and, and so does Windows as well. But every time you boot a virtual machine, that there's like a little mini BIOS test, and then you've got to boot Windows or Linux or, or whatever your operating system is, right? Well, containers boot much faster. I mean, a container is going to start in like less than a second. The reason there is that the kernel is already already running on the host underneath, and the container just sits on top of the kernel and, and accesses that kernel. So we don't need to bootstrap a new kernel. The kernel's already up and running. All we have to do is create a tiny bit of metadata. So from that perspective, containers boot very, very fast. Now, you might think, well, is that really important to me? But I think you touched on a good point there, John, that a lot of modern web-scale apps that we're seeing these days they, they leverage this idea of continuous integration and continuous delivery, where we're continuously checking in code and new versions, and we're running automated tests and things against them. Now, if you're doing that all day long with a big team of developers, and you're checking stuff in, and you're running tests all the time, being able to launch containers like in an instant becomes really quite powerful. The other thing that you mentioned, the copy-on-write file system. So the way the containers really work is you, you pull down an image of... Let's just say Ubuntu Linux running the Apache 2 web server, okay? You pull that down from Docker Hub, however fast your internet connection works, right? Then you've got your base image, and you launch a container off of that. So a container is like a running instance of an image, right? Think of it maybe as like a, a, an image being a, a VM template and a container being the actual running VM. But the way that the um, copy-on-write file system works is 
I could launch 50 Apache 2 web servers based off of Ubuntu on my Docker host based off that, just that one image. And let's say that image is 100 gig, okay? And I launch 50 containers. I'm probably going to consume on day one, minute one, 110 gig, maybe. That, that's, probably, that's probably going overboard, probably 101 gig or something because they all point back to that image, and then effectively all a container is, is a, a layer on top of that image. Now, as we make changes to the container, yeah, then it starts growing like a copy on write file system does, okay? But something like an Apache 2 web server sitting on the front end, probably going to make a lot of changes there. So we can fire them up really fast and we can fire tons up based off of the same image and consume next to no disk space at the end of the day. I think that can be quite powerful with some modern apps. <laughs> Another thing that people have told me is it's is an interesting way of looking at configuration management because when you use something like Chef or Puppet, you are describing an end state, but it goes in and you, you, you start your, your image up, right, and it, it goes through its, its configuration magic and you end up with certain packages. But if you change your mind and later you, you use different packages or whatever, you can leave some stuff around and there's always that temptation to SSH in and you know, fix something when it's broken. But people told me that they have a tendency to think of Docker containers as uh, more immutable, and therefore they, they, they have less of a temptation to log in and change something. They just rebuild it from scratch since it's so fast. And that has led to better configuration management practices so that you know, uh, images that should be the same don't drift apart. I would say that that's true. Um, and I think that applies very much to... The guys that are running these modern web scale apps, really. And I, I want to put a caveat in here, right? So Docker and containers isn't just for that kind of app, but it does lend itself really well to those kind of apps where the, the instances you're talking about there, I was going to say they tend to be stateless components, but they don't have to be. Um, but yes, the idea is most Docker instances, most Docker containers don't run an SSH daemon, so you can't SSH into them. There are backdoors into them. You can Docker exec into them and things like that. But the idea is don't do that anymore. Don't go and tweak around with things. Build a new image and push the new image as a new container. And you, you do get that immutability. And I don't know that it's necessarily a better way of configuration management in every instance. It's definitely different. Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd also argue, Nigel, that yes, this is coming from new cloud native apps, but it's not a best practice to log into your legacy VMs and start mucking with stuff anyway, right? You shouldn't be doing that by hand in the first place. No, you shouldn't. Um, I, I do think, though, a lot of places that I've worked at, um, VMs, and maybe it's because they live for so long, and I mean, you know, containers can too, but VMs tend to live for a long time. They do tend over time to stray quite a long way from that golden image, if you will, of when they were first built. Tweak a bit here, tweak a bit there. And it does become difficult to manage afterwards. Now, if we can get ourselves into the mindset where we don't do that and we just build from scratch again a new image and launch a container off of that, maybe that is going to help, yeah? That's the the whole thing is interesting to me because the kind of in the back of my mind I still keep thinking that you need to be saving data somewhere and I know maybe just how far along I've come in the course but I know that you can't I know data does get saved in in containers or at least it can be there but if the container goes away after it's being used 
do you just you always like no matter what you do do you always have to kind of save it to another location which would then be a vm is that kind of how it works out no 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 so okay and this is actually quite a popular misconception so you stop a container that container still exists in a shutdown state if you will on the docker host that you're running it on and any data that is in there is hidden away inside the linux file system on the docker host so you can then go and do a docker ps command i think if you lash like the minus a flag on the end that will list all containers on that system that have ever run including stopped containers you can then get that containers id run a docker start and that container will fire back up and it will have access to the data that it had when it was running before so containers do persist it's just a lot of the popular use cases for them are build them use them throw them away doesn't necessarily mean that's the only way to use them one of the kind of things that the issues I had at first with Docker Inc. was that they were really big on this idea that, hey, and containers are, are all about these massively scalable apps, um, immutable infrastructure, microservices. Um, we only run one process inside of a container. All of that good jazz, right? And that's great. But actually, a container can be just a, a, a mini Linux machine. And you can run loads of processes in there. You can run SSH in there if you want to. And you can make them persistent. In fact, they're, they're persistent by default, right? Um, but, but a lot of people think, oh, they're part of these like throwaway architecture. So if I turn my container off, I lose all my data. And, and, and that doesn't happen. That kind of actually leads into the, the next thing. And you brought it up on the course. Um, can you talk about like as far as needing backup and those types of typical enterprise practices for Docker? So if you're going to be running stateless containers, then you're not going to really need backup there. But if you're running anything that's got state, so your persistent stuff within your estate, let's say a database, okay? Not, not long back, Oracle released um, a Docker image that would run on top of their Oracle version of Linux and would run an Oracle database in it, right? So something that's run an Oracle database, you're going to want to back that up just like normal. But the ecosystem's immature there at the moment. There's not a lot of products out there. Again, any data that you've got inside of your container, that's hosted on you know, the file system of the um, Linux machine that's running your container. And any traditional backup tool can go in there and can back up that data, whether it's backing up in a consistent state. That, that's a different matter. But that's definitely an area that I think needs to mature going forward. I think there's there's only like maybe one or two commercial products out there that have got not designed for Docker badge on them, but that talk about backing up Docker containers. Um, it, I think it's somewhere that needs to mature. It's certainly a long way off where the VMware ecosystem is, right? And I guess that's probably another point to why it'll run in a VM for a while so you can do some of that backup. Totally, yeah. Kind of going back maybe on the business side, um, what? How does Docker make money? That I don't figure out. There's this <laughs> hub that lives in the cloud where I store everything. Like, how, I don't get it. Why is it so rapid? How it make? How they're going to make money? I, I I don't know. Okay, it's notoriously difficult to make good money off of the back of open source, and the guys at Docker are insane about open sourcing everything that they do and working out in the open and collaborating with the community. Their idea generally, as far as I can see, is that there's probably going to be some services involved. 
Um, but I don't know how much they'll they'll leverage from that because it, you know the user experience is so easy with Docker. It's going to be things like Docker Hub Enterprise and private repositories on Docker Hub and any kind of things that they add around the core Docker product. Maybe they can sell those to companies. I've got to say, though, I do think it's going to be a challenge for them. Maybe more of the, like, on, I know there were some deficiencies around security, and I think that's kind of why uh, Rocket kind of came out. And then, but they must be making some money or plan to because they bought Socket Plane. And yeah. So maybe, maybe those acquisitions will provide some additional value. I'm, I'm not too sure. Hey, so Dwayne, so just wanted to put in, so two things with security. I mean, one is, you know, the security model of a, of a container is different than a VM, right? The VM is isolated. That's one of the benefits you get because you've got the whole operating system there. Uh, the, the container is, is a slice of, a, of an existing, of a kernel. Now, it's protected by namespaces and it has its own, you know, it, it has its own separation, but it's unclear how uh, transparent the containers are to each other uh, to an exploit. Um, you know, that's, that's still, it's certainly not as isolated as a VM. Um, but you know, the socket plane stuff is interesting. Those are a couple of guys. Um, they actually are working to bring SDN concepts from the enterprise that we know about, uh, like VXLAN that VMware and Cisco have worked on, like Open vSwitch into containers. I don't know. Nigel, do you have more context on networking and containers? I think anybody that knows really anything about Docker. And any conversation that you have with anybody about Docker, when it comes to scale, networking is the Achilles heel. And rather than try and develop something internally, the guys looked at what was going on at Socket Plane. And there is some serious brain trust at Socket Plane from the networking and software-defined networking world, okay? They thought, hello, it's going to be a lot easier for us to pick these guys up here. So Socket Plane is a technology or and a company, right? I mean... It's six guys, and they're only six months old, and it, the technology's only in preview state at the moment. Well, it's got all the hallmarks right now of being a real killer acquisition, in my opinion, and plugging that hole that was networking for Docker. Effectively, software-defined networking for Docker will allow us to create VXLAN tunnels across Docker hosts, um, something that's not possible currently with Docker, um, and it's going to be massive, in my opinion, as far as scalable networking goes for Docker. Security on the networking side, you know what? I'm going to hold my hand up here and say, I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to answer that. Um, but as far as networking capabilities go and networking at scale for Docker, Socket Plane, in my opinion, looks like a diamond, diamond acquisition. I, I expect big things too. I've only looked at a couple of posts around network insecurity. You can like close ports off in between layers, but that doesn't really look manageable at all from from my side. But there's probably some gaps on my my Docker information anyway that would <laughs> that need to. No, but. but I mean, networking in Docker without socket plane is is a weak point, no doubt about that. Uh, as we kind of get near the end here, uh, Nigel, is there any kind of any other common misconceptions that you can think of that maybe listeners should know about? Um, yeah, so a couple, right? Docker's not hard. You know, the reason that Docker is kicking off at such a rapid pace is because the user experience is so good. It's actually really easy. And I half wonder, right, if some Windows guys are put off because it's Linux. 
Um, so I think Microsoft getting in on the game is going to help the ecosystem going forward. If, if you know how to install Linux, it's not going to be hard for you to learn Docker. It's, it's really, it's a handful of commands. You can spin up containers, you can save them, you can push and pull them to Docker Hub. Really good. Um, so it's not hard. I think the other common misconception, I think this is going to be an important one, right? Docker's infrastructure, right? It's not just for developers. Now, it's all about the app at the end of the day, right? And developers, of course, are very close to the app. But operations guys and infrastructure guys and architects, really, I think we all know we need to be closer to the app than we currently are. And one of my concerns is, I mean, we've got VM sprawl at the moment, right? And that's not fault of virtualization as a technology. It's the way we've let it get out of control. And I'm just a tiny bit concerned, okay, that if it's just developers that are throwing Docker engines and um, Docker hosts around, we're going to get ourselves into a bad place that, that's really, you know, we're going to paint ourselves into a corner that's very difficult to get out of. So I would really encourage anybody that's like a, I don't know, a Windows admin, a Linux admin, a, a VMware admin, or even, you know, if you're an architect in those technologies, get your head around Docker, okay? I mean, it's like a juggernaut in the industry, okay? If, if you're not there behind it and with it, you're in front of it and it's going to steamroller over you personally. Get there and get involved and, and throw your hat in and, and make sure that we're not deploying it in crazy ways within an organization because I love developers, all right? But generally speaking, they don't know how to run a sustainable infrastructure. And Docker's going to be core infrastructure going forward for a lot of companies. And I, I would suggest infrastructure guys, get up to speed on it and get your hands on it in your organization as soon as possible. That might be the nicest way anyone's ever described the relationship between infrastructure people and developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's great info as we wrap up why don't we just uh let us know where we can kind of get a hold of your courses again and, and find you online yeah so um i'm always out and about on twitter i'm at nigel Poulton. you know what talking about infrastructure guys getting involved with docker that that's what my docker deep dive course at Pluralsight is all about demystifying docker and, and knowing how to use it um so if you go over to pluralsight.com if you're already a member, awesome login, Docker Deep Dive, and I've got one on Docker Clustering. If you're not a member of Pluralsight already, go try out the 10-day trial. Watch the course. Um, if you like it, stay, stay on board. I'll be producing more courses in the future. Um, but yeah, so at Nigel Poulton on Twitter and uh, Pluralsight.com, I've got a bunch of courses in the library. All good stuff. Well, thanks again, Nigel. Great to have you on. A wealth of information. This has uh, been a top-notch one. So uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you online. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to follow Nutanix on Twitter for the latest news and announcements. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you're so inclined, please review us and rate us on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest or have a topic idea, let us know at community at Nutanix.com. I am Angela Luciani. I'm Laura Whalen. And I'm John Mark Troyer. See you next time.